Hey guys, it's Dan Harris. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to remind you guys that we have a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash fantasy pros. You can go click that. You can subscribe. You can like any video that you see. We will be recording all of our podcasts. We do a ton of videos. And if you are just interested in baseball content, if for whatever reason you don't want anything else, we have a separate YouTube channel dedicated just to you guys. Just go to YouTube, search for fantasy pros, MLB. Again, we are recording video all of these podcasts so if you want to watch them on youtube again just subscribe to the channel search for fantasy pros mlb you can see all of our podcasts you're going to be able to see a ton of videos that we're going to put out this year again the regular one youtube.com slash fantasy pros and search for fantasy pros mlb to just find the mlb channel all right let's get into the show Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Pros Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Harris. Find me on Twitter at DanHarris80. Time to talk about some prospects. And when you do that, there are very few people who just the audience really, really, really wants to hear from. One of them is our guy who's on today, Chris Clegg, over at Fantrax. Find him on Twitter at RotoClegg. That's C-L-E-G-G. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time. How you doing? Yeah, thank you, man. I am Honored to be on today, talking some baseball. Obviously, anytime we get to sit down and talk baseball, it's great. And then talking prospects today, that's that's my passion. So I am very thrilled, honored to be here. So thank you for inviting me and looking forward to this great conversation we're going to have today. You, you've been talking for like 25 seconds and you've used the word honored twice already. I feel <laughs> like, you know, too much, too much. Just be happy to be here, man. Honored, really. It puts too much pressure on me as a host. <laughs> I, I've got I've to bring it up. Now, let's ask very quickly about prospects because we were just sort of talking very briefly before the show started. And I was like, man, you know, when I want to hear about prospects, when I want to learn more really about prospects, it's you and uh, it's Eric, right? It's um, Eric Cross and you guys do the podcast together. So how did you like, why prospects so much? Prospects are one of the things, you know, you've got to really dig deep when you want to learn about these guys, right? Baseball is on every single day other than last year, of course, but during the summer for six months, it's on. You can watch everything. Prospects, you really have to sort of dig deep. So why prospects out of curiosity? Why did, is that sort of the route? I know you know baseball as well as anyone, but generally speaking, like how'd you become kind of the prospect expert, so to speak? Yeah, sure. Well, it started probably when I was younger. I just, um, growing up in South Carolina, we had a lot of minor league baseball around us. You know, the Braves, Braves are my team. Atlanta's the closest major league stadium, but we had a lot of minor league teams. And so growing up playing, I remember going to the ballpark with, uh, the team and stuff. And then as I got older, just really finding a passion of just enjoying minor league baseball. And now I live about 10 minutes from uh, Greenville, South Carolina, which is where the Red Sox single A team is. And so just really being there and watching these guys develop. So you get to see these like studs come through. You see like Mookie Betts who comes through and, and you see all these big names, Xander Bogarts. You just keep going down the list and you get to watch these guys when they're young and developing. And it's just so cool. And so I kind of started my love there, just, just watching and watching these talents develop. And then also with like college baseball, I'm a big college sports fan as well. And so locally, there's some pretty good talent at the University of South Carolina and Clemson University is not far away. And so watching obviously them a lot growing up as a South Carolina Gamecock fan, you know, there's a lot of great 
uh, prospects in the SEC, ACC. So they're, I'm getting to see a lot of those guys. And then that kind of got me more into the MLB draft. And then I guess the passion to really study and evaluate prospects came in, from my first dynasty league. So when I joined my first dynasty league, probably in 2015, you know, I really didn't have a ton of knowledge other than names specifically. And so I knew the names of guys. Like I knew, I knew how to like obviously look at prospects list and figure out how to and what I thought these guys could be. And then from there, it really blossomed. So you got into some deeper, like 30 team dynasties and you're getting like these deep names. And that was just fun for me to find these very deep minor league guys that like nobody's talking about. And you're like, huh, these guys are intriguing. And then when you start talking about them and when you draft them and you see them develop and then it gets really exciting. And so that's kind of where my passion developed. And then, you know, I was always loved that. And then just finding a good niche, you know, breaking through the industry is challenging. There's a lot of great writers out there, a lot of great podcasters. And so I wanted to find a way that, you know, I could really stand out. And, you know, Eric Cross has done this for a long time. He does it. He does a great thing. And so when I was fortunate enough to, for him to ask me to write at Fantrax, you know, I was honored because I looked up to his work for so long. And so getting to work with him was a huge deal for me. And then, you know, as we start talking more, we have like all the same interests when it comes to baseball and fantasy. And so we're going to talk about this more. And we're like, you know, we should start a, pro- a prospect podcast. And there's not a whole lot of that out there. You know, a lot of good sites. I mean, Prospects Live, Chris Welsh has Prospects One. There's a lot of good people doing a lot of good things with prospects, but it's not a huge ordeal as like just generic fantasy writing. And so we talked about that. We got the podcast started just a couple months ago, and it's gone extremely well and been fortunate. But that's kind of my prospect story of how you know I got into that and really began to enjoy and and enjoy watching and de- seeing these prospects develop and scouting them. So. You know, I've just been trying to dive in and learn as much as I can from a lot of people I respect. And so thankfully, there's a lot of great people in the in the prospect world as well that are willing to be helpful and talk to you. They'll sit down and, and teach you how to really scout these players. So it's kind of where I'm at now is just trying to better learn how to scout these guys and label what we think they can be. And then, you know, just enjoying the ride of watching them. Man, it's been exciting. And so it's been a cool ride and I've enjoyed every moment of it. Yeah, minor league ball is great. Uh, I, you know, if you don't live near a minor league stadium, you really do miss out. When we moved to New Hampshire, we live right by uh, where the Fisher Cats play, so it's Double A. I mean, we got lucky, right? At one point, it was Vladdy, Bichette, and Biggio all there at the same time, so it was great. And had my kid's birthday there. But watching minor league ball, it's great. It's like five bucks a ticket. You really get the great experience. And again, you can follow these guys. So. Yeah, that's great. So let's do it. Let's talk about some prospects today. Here's how we're going to break down the show. We're going to start by talking about five rookies or prospects that are primed to make the biggest impact in 2021. You know, the guys that you don't have to stash all year, guys who are probably going to make an impact pretty early. Then kind of the opposite. We're going to talk about some prospects who could make an impact a little later in the season that you might have to hold if you want to draft them from the start. Then we'll go a little deeper, talk about a few other prospects that we're thinking about holding on to in dynasty formats. And then we're going to finish up with a few young draft prospects that Chris is most excited about ahead of the MLB draft. But before we get into it, I'm happy to tell you now baseball season, we're talking about it. The 2021 MLB draft wizard is officially open. Now is the time to start getting an edge on all of your opponents. Use our mock draft simulator at fansbros.com slash draft wizard. You know the drill. You can complete drafts in like 10 minutes. You set the number of teams, you set your draft slot, you set your settings, and you, you go against realistic computer opponents. Again, that's fansbros.com dot com slash draft wizard. All right, let's get to the rookies who we think are going to make an impact 
kind of early on in the MLB season. You can start us off. Who do you have as your top guy? Yeah, so the first guy I've got listed is Key Brian Hayes. And so Hayes was interesting because, you know, he was once like a very top prospect, but ranked very high. And then you know, he kind of faded down list a while. And then he came up last year, which is very impressive. Uh, we know he slashed 376 with a 442 OBP and a 682 slug uh, with five home runs, just 92 plate appearances, so a small sample there. Um, he had a high Babbitt, 450, which tells us probably some regressions coming in a larger sample. But regardless, Hayes is a talented hitter. Uh, great swing leads to very consistent contact. Um, he does need to work a hair on some pitch recognition. But overall, I think he does walk at a solid rate, so he posts solid OBP numbers. The power surge was a little surprising in 2020, as a lot of scouts had kind of faded him on the power, even though some still pumped it. I think long-term that he can grow into like a 20-25 home run threat, but he's got great uh, gap power, and like I said, I think that home run power is still developing, and he could turn into that. Uh, throw in overall solid hitter, great OBP skills with that power, you have the makings of a very solid fantasy asset for third base. And it only helps that he's just elite in the field. He's a gold glove caliber third baseman. He's got a great arm. So he's going to stick over there. Being great in the field only means that he has a better chance of sticking in the lineup every day. Unfortunately, the Pirates lineup's not the best. So you're not going to probably get a ton of counting stats there. But, but he'll, th- he'll probably bat in the top of the order, right? I mean, I assume he's going to be batting, what, second probably for the yeah. season is what we expect? He has to. Yeah, I mean, they, they just don't have anybody else. So yeah. I definitely think he's a top-of-the-order guy this year. And so I, I wouldn't get too caught up in the numbers that you saw last year in the small sample, but there is a lot of talent. And I think that even where he's being drafted right now, there's a lot of room for profit. Even though he's kind of going high, I think he's going in like the 130 range last I saw on NFBC drafts. But third base is kind of a shallow position, and it kind of falls off pretty quick. And so you get in that range with where Hayes is. You also have like the Alec Bohm's and other guys but you know i like hayes in that spot and i think that over a full season he's going to give you some solid numbers and could really make a big impact this year wouldn't surprise me at all to see him compete for like nl rookie of the year yeah i mean it's interesting it's funny you mentioned third base where i feel like we were all looking at it last year like all right this is the position good position and every third baseman just kind of fell off a cliff obviously it's a short shortened season so we don't want to make too much so i want to ask you because again you, you know you look at these guys he was always a great prospect for sure. He was a top guy. But as you mentioned, some of that was the fact that he's pretty elite defensively. Overall in the minors, he had just a 752 OPS in 461 games. And he comes up as we talked about, you know, you mentioned 1124 OPS in just the 24 games in the majors. And we mentioned the Babbitt, but again, he had a hard hit rate of 55.4% that would have ranked seventh in the majors if he had the full season. So what do you do when you see somebody like this who takes such a giant leap in this shortened spot in the majors from where he was in the minors? Because again, he was projected to be a very good player. He was a top prospect, but a lot of that was sort of, you know, he, he good defensively, made a lot of contact. I know we expected ne- not necessarily the power to, to be quite this good. And you mentioned that probably can't expect that going forward, but how do you analyze it when a guy so greatly outperforms their minor league track record in such a shortened season and his just cup of coffee, 24 games that we saw last year. Yeah. And so that's, that's really the challenge. And that's the challenge with every player that we saw last year that came up, even major leaguers that popped out of nowhere that had great 60 game samples. You know, we have to look at it. We have to look at it case by case. I think it's easy to say, Oh, we can dismiss this or, 
or accept this, but I think you've got to judge everybody on a case-by-case basis. And with Hayes, I think it's just the case that he's always made consistent hard contact, but it's the fact that he really never could develop that game power. We never saw the home runs develop. I mentioned the gap power, a lot of doubles, you know, a lot of good OBP skills for, because of that, good average. But I think we saw a little bit of him begin to lift the ball a little more. You mentioned the hard hit rate being pretty elite. And obviously you expect some regression in that, but it showed impressive growth. And so when you we didn't see him obviously play from late September 2019 all the way till July. So there's a lot of things that could have happened. You know, he could have, he bulked up a little bit, which is encouraging, added strength. So you can see some results from that as well, but it's hard to evaluate. Like you mentioned, what do you do when you get these small samples and it's tough. And so I'm not fully buying into the power that we saw, but I do think the power is solid enough to hit 20 home runs. You know, he's not yeah. going to be a 30 home run guy. Right now you've got steamer. They're generally a conservative sort of projection outlet. They have met an 816 OPS, 284, 19 homers, nine steals, and 136 games. That sounds absolutely appropriate based on, you know, what I've seen from his minor league numbers and from the cup of coffee that he had last year. And that's a guy who, you know, you if where he's going in NFBC drafts. And again, that, that's really the draft position that we have at this moment, the best, the most accurate that we have right now. Then, yeah, that you're going to make a profit from that, especially if there's a little room for growth. So I like the call again. He's going to probably be batting at the top of the Pirates lineup and as you mentioned, that's not the strongest lineup, but still, anytime you're you're batting your top of a major league lineup, obviously your runs and RBI opportunities are going to be, you know, higher than they otherwise would. All right, let's get to your next guy. Who do you got number two on your list of guys who you think are going to make an impact kind of earlier in the season? Yeah, of course. So this is, I'm going the starting pitcher out, and it's probably not the starting pitcher that many would have pegged. You know, you think of Sixto Sanchez and Ian Anderson of the guys that came up and dominated last year, but I'm going with Dane Dunning. Uh, this was another guy was once regarded as a, a top pitching prospect in the game, kind of slouched a little bit in rankings, but then he showed why. He showed us why he was once a top prospect once he debuted in 2020. Uh, Dunning uses five pitches, commands them all really well. Uh, three of those five pitches produced a whiff rate above 30% last year. That's really impressive. He posted 397 ERA, 1.12 whip, and a near 25% K rate in 2020 in seven starts. And now... We know he's been traded. He was involved in the Lance Lynn deal. So he's with the Rangers, and he's in the best pitcher's park in baseball, in the new Globe Life field. And for someone like Dunning that already keeps the ball in the field, the ball in the park pretty well and induces a lot of ground balls, this only benefits him even more. And I know, obviously, that you're downgrading team-wise. You're going to get less offense in Texas as you would Chicago. So the chances it wins are a little lower. But man, I really wouldn't be surprised to see Dunning be one of the best rookie pitchers in the game in 2021 because one, the talent and skill, and two, that ballpark is just going to play up very, very well for him. So I'm excited about Dunning. He's going after pick 200 in drafts, and I'm scooping him up everywhere because I think he's going to surprise a lot of people and be a great value this year. Yeah, he's so cheap in drafts. I love the call. We talked about him a little bit uh, last week with Frank Stample. It's interesting, though, to me, and maybe you have more insight into this because I haven't exactly figured it out. So he, you know, had seven starts last year. Right. And you mentioned his numbers were very good. But like the breakdown of his starts and the pitches that he threw in those starts were just dramatically different. Like he he has a great slider, relied heavily on that slider in the first three starts where he was striking out a ton of guys in the last four. He really pulled it back 
a little bit. Also, kind of with his fastball, start throwing his changeup much more. And so, you know, he wasn't getting the wisp, but that slider is awesome. You know, his changeup wasn't nearly as good. So I I don't know if you have any insight into it. Why suddenly he kind of changed mid-range? Because if he relies on that fastball and slider, I, I mean, you at after pick 200, you ha- he should be drafted, drafted everywhere, really, because there's just there's no cost to it at that point. Do you have any idea why he got away from kind of what would make him so successful? You know, I really don't know. But it is an interesting point as you you watch the the pitch mix change. I was looking at the graph on Baseball Savant of how it just fluctuates from game to game. And, you know, I, I don't have direct insight as to, to why. I almost wonder if it's a team-by-team team thing, like, you know, but even you go to that last start and the the changeup, he dropped the rate by like 10%. This, the curveball basically didn't use it at all. And then the sinker, he just starts using the sinker so much more. And it's interesting. Each start, he used the sinker more and more progressively. And that became the predominant pitch that he used. I mean, he got a lot of ground balls. You know, that's not a strikeout pitch. He got hit a little hard on it, which is discouraging. And so it's interesting, but I mean, dudes drilled it into the ground. They may have hit it hard, but he had a negative 18 degree launch angle on that pitch, which is right. absolutely nuts. So it's yeah. not the strikeout pitch necessarily, but I mean, the stuff's there. I don't know. It, you bring up an interesting point though that worth monitoring because the pitch mix is just all over the board. Yeah. So I, I do have one other question because it, it's an upgrade in park without question when you're going from the White Sox guaranteed great field. It's, it's an upgrade almost anywhere you're going. I do wonder, though, because you're talking about Globe Life as if it's one of the best pitchers parks in the majors. Are you ready to draw that conclusion? Because I, I realize, of course, how it played last year. But again, w- with so little data, it strikes me as an above average park. But do you think it's really going to be that strong for pitchers coming into this year? Yeah, I mean, you bring up the small sample and that's tough. Again, tough. We have to take everything in stride that we saw last season, and the sample there was small. Yep. But when you see guys like Joey Gallo complaining about how much of a pitcher's park it is, and we know Gallo is one of the best power hitters in the game, and Gallo didn't necessarily hit for that much power at home. And so, I don't know. With the with the samples that we have, plus all the, the players are saying about it, I really do think it's going to play up as a major pitcher's park. It may not be the best, but I think it's going to be up there. I really do. Yeah. Well, it's certainly an upgrade regardless for Dunning, which is, you know, funny. Now people are going, you know, pitchers going to Texas are like, Ooh, good thing. Good thing you <laughs> yeah. got out of your other uh, other stadium and are going here. All right, let's get to your next guy. Who do you have as your number three? Sure. That's uh, Ryan Mountcastle, another guy kind of like Hayes. He made a much anticipated debut last season. He came off a 2019 season where he was pretty dominant. He slashed 312. 344, 527 with 25 home runs and triple A. We kept wondering if he would debut in 2019, and he finally did in 2020 and with Baltimore. Hit five home runs in 140 plate appearances, slash 333, 386, 492. The most encouraging thing, honestly, was his walk rate. Now, yep. Mountcastle's kind of always been a low OBP guy because he doesn't walk much, but we saw those games there, and like we've said a lot. Is it just a, a matter of a small sample or are those actually gains that he can use moving forward? And so I, I thought he was very impressive, especially with the struggles in the past with the plate discipline and stuff. But if he continues to show that improved plate discipline, we're looking at a very solid fantasy contributor. Yeah, I think there's some the risk in the profile defensively. I don't know where he ends up and plays, but I do know that his bat's going to play. 
whether he ends yeah. up in a corner outfield spot, first base, DH, doesn't matter because the bat's going to play. I think you can expect some regression coming in 2021. Like he's not going to be a 312 hitter again. Sorry, 333 hitter that he was in 2020. He's not going to do that again. But nonetheless, I think he's going to give you very solid production. Pitchers are going to adjust a hair, but he's still going to be very solid at the plate. He's going late enough, and with that dual eligibility at first and an outfield that he should have in most leagues, I think that it's a very solid pick. And again, he could be a sneaky uh, rookie of the year pick as well in the American League. Yeah. I love the call. I think it's a great call. And you mentioned, yeah, I mean, he batted 333. He had almost a 400 BABIP, you know, even though he didn't he didn't really crush the ball. His line drive rate was fine, but the BABIP is going to come down. The batting average is going to come down, but you're not drafting him at, again, you mentioned it, he's at pick 143 on average. You're not drafting him to bat 333 and be a big power hitter or anything like that. You mentioned the walk rate, 7.9%, way higher than he'd ever shown in the minors. That's, I know it's small. And this is really, this is going to be the challenge for fantasy managers this year is trying to figure out what they can take from guys like this who come up and it's a really small sample size and they don't know how much of it is real. Is the walk rate real? I'm willing to buy it a little bit. I, and, you know, part of it is confirmation bias. I don't know if you walk into this. You follow these guys from the time they're babies, basically. And then you see them come up into the majors and you have these projections as to what you think their career could be. And then when they make a gain like this, I've always been a big Mountcastle fan. And when you see him sort of make this gain, you kind of feel like, OK, I, I'm going to buy this gain. <laughs> Something that I think he's just learning. So, again, I talked about Steamer and their projections. There aren't that many projection systems out right now. To batting average of 277, 26 homers. That seems perfectly attainable to me. That seems basically right in line with what I'm going to expect from him. And at pick 143, that's, I mean, what do you think about where he's going right now in drafts? That strikes me as, you know, appropriate based on the upside and the risk, of course, that, you know, what we saw a little bit in the small sample size last year really isn't quite what we can expect this year. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think that it's appropriately valued with a chance to give you some decent profit. I mean, he's going to hit for decent average. He's going to give you 25 home run pop. I think that's not unreasonable to expect that. And so at that spot that he's going, I find good value there. He's not going to like blow you away and be like one of those guys that jumps up as a top 50 player, I don't think, but it's solid. It's a solid floor and solid skill set. Yeah. And again, he's going to be batting in in a great park. He'll probably bat sixth the fifth or sixth right now so yeah it's a good spot for him so i like the call let's get to number four who do you got yeah and this is probably one of my favorite sleepers and that's alejandro kirk uh the bowling ball catcher with the blue jays <laughs> he's just a pure hitter man reminds me a lot of a uh, williams ostadio but just yeah. better you know and based on solely steamer projections he's projected to be the fourth best catcher uh, for 2021 just based on projections along which is kind of nuts and several months ago on the podcast with Eric, I made a bold prediction that he would be a top five catcher for 2021. And okay. now I'm wondering if that's not as crazy as it once seemed then, just looking at the hype kind of growing a little bit. Uh, he He's going the 19th catcher off the board right now, which has moved up. He was going 24th off the board last month. So he's moved up a decent bit, but this is a guy that's just a pure hitter. He's going to hit for average. He's got solid power. He's not going to blow you away with power, but if you can get a catcher that can hit 290 and hit 15 to 18 home runs, that's going to play. We forget how shallow this position is and the struggles that many fantasy managers have because outside of Real Muto, there hasn't been a lot of consistency at the position. And so with Kirk, I think he's going to play. I know there's concerns. They've got five catchers 
on the 40-man roster right now, he's going to play, whether at catcher, DH, unless they go out and sign a couple big names. I think there's a spot for him. Wouldn't be crazy for me to see him be an easily startable catcher in a 10-team league, 12-team leagues. This is a guy I want on my team. And at that draft price, buying all day, scooping up shares everywhere. And I absolutely love Kirk. I'll keep hyping him. It might be crazy. It might bust, but I'm a big Alejandro Kirk fan, and I'll be buying into that for 2021 and beyond. Okay, so I have zero problems with really anything that you said. Dude can flat out hit. You mentioned the bowling ball build. Yeah, people should know <laughs> five nine two sixty five. All right, so he's he's a he's a big kid. You know, he's he's young, and I can say kid because I'm an old man at this point. <laughs> but this this really is what I worry about. And you seem to basically just essentially say. His bat is so good that he's going to find his way into the lineup because you mentioned they they he's a catcher. They've got catchers. I mean, Danny Jansen was kind of this bat first kid that fantasy managers were drafting as a top 12 option a couple of years ago and never really materialized. But his glove has kind of come a long way. They've got Reese McGuire, also similar, pretty good glove out there. It can kind of handle the bat. Not great. I mean, you know, when we're talking about Kirk, he's going to be a much better hitter than both of them. But defensively, it, it, I don't know whether or not they're just going to say, okay, Jansen, Maguire, you're out. Kirk is in. You mentioned DH. And yeah, right now it looks like they have. But, you know, do they want, you know, they've got Vladdy. They've got Rowdy Teles. They, they've got, you know, these guys who feels like they're going to kind of want to have the DH spot not completely occupied. But you seem to be coming in. And I don't really argue with the hit tools whatsoever. You seem to be thinking, He's going to find his way into this lineup with that bat, regardless of where it is. Yeah, and that's the thoughts. I mean, right now, I'm guessing Rowdy plays first base. I could see him bumping yep. Vladdy back over to third. Yep. And so leaves kind of the open DH spot for Kirk. I don't think Kirk's an everyday catcher. By no means do I think he is, but I think he catches enough to keep eligibility there for, for a while at least. It's kind of like the Dalton Varsho situation where yep. they're going to catch. They're also going to be able to play another position. In Varsho's case, at least he can play center field. Kirk ain't, Kirk's not playing anywhere in the field. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> he just doesn't fit in the field. But no. where it stands right now, I do think that he can take that designated hitter spot. The bat, I just think the bat works his way in the lineup. I mean, yeah. small small cup of coffee last year, just 25 plate appearances. But he hit 375, had a home run to go with it. 400 OBP, 583 slug. You look at the minor leagues, he's hit 354, 299, 288 in his stops with crazy high OBPs. I mean, the walk rates, and I don't I don't put a lot of stock in minor league walk rates, especially the lower levels where pitchers are really working on command and control. But regardless, I mean, it's hard to argue when you see 13.5% walk rate, 18.8% walk rate, 13.8. That was just 4% last year. But again, we're looking at a 25 plate appearance sample. Makes just great contact. The contact rates are, are elite level. And I, do, I really do. I just think the bat plays its way into the lineup somehow or another. Now, this could go really south, honestly. They could go out and sign a, a cap. I'm, I'm not busy. Excuse me, a, a DJ LeMahieu, and then it, it works someone out of the lineup. Right. Yep. And so that's the concern. But at the price, I don't think you have a whole lot to lose. I mean, he's going after pick 300, mentioned 19th catcher off the board. And so it's a risk I'm willing to take. And if you pair him with another catcher, that maybe has a starting spot, I really think it could pay off for you. No, I really like the call. And I don't mean to pour cold water on it. It's no. just when I'm thinking about him. No, it really is. It is sort of the, I, there are few, I feel like hitters that I look at and I, I have so few concerns 
about how their bat is going to play in the majors. You mentioned the cup of coffee again. It was only nine games. He obviously acquitted himself well, a career 918 OPS in the minors. I mean, he can hit. He can really, really hit. And if he does do that in the majors, yeah, they'll find a place for him. It's just a little weird because specifically with the Blue Jays, how much catching depth they have there, you know, given, you know, even, you know, you mentioned the, the guys, the other, you know, they have Riley Adams, who's coming up as well. So, but you're, I mean, pick 317 on average. I, you know, this is a guy who you, the upside, you know, you get him with one of your last picks in your draft. Like there is upside without question to be a top 10 catcher. If he can find his way into the lineup regularly, splitting time between DH and catching every now and then keep that eligibility. Oh yeah. I think that he can easy be a top 10 catcher without worry about it. So yeah. Okay. I like your optimism on him because I, <laughs> I do. I love his bat. I mean, you, you can't really find holes in, yeah. his, in his approach. Yeah. That's I'm great. probably more optimistic than most, but yep. I'll, I'll, I'll be that guy. I'll, I'll be I like it. I like it. Be the Alejandro Kirk guy. That's not a bad place to be, man. You could be, you could be worse. Let's get to your last guy though, who you mentioned here and yeah, we're going to talk about him. This is a guy who every the, the hype started running on late last year as we got into the season and then didn't exactly work out. Go ahead. The Cardinals, Dylan Carlson. So we know that the, the hype really began to take off in 2019. He just mashed between AA and AAA. He hit 26 home runs, stole 20 bases, had a slash line of 292, 372, 542. So the expectations were just insanely high on Carlson. And he vaulted up prospect rankings into plenty of people's top tens. Thought the floor was just extremely high and the ceiling looked high as well, which is a great combination to have as a prospect. Then he came up, made his much anticipated debut, and he struggled. He did. He struggled in 2020, hit just three home runs, stole one bag. He was even demoted to the alt site uh, midseason. He kind of rejuvenated him, though, which was encouraging. He came back September 18th. He slashed 278, 325, 6'11", with two home runs over those final 12 games. In the postseason, he held his own. He looked very impressive in the postseason. While it was, again, a small sample, uh, 14 plate appearances, he had three hits, walked four times, really held his own, had good composure for a rookie coming up and playing in his first postseason. Got a great feel for the strikes on, leads to a great hit tool. He's bulked up, which has led to more power in the profile. To me, he profiles as a guy that can easily hit 25 home runs, steal 15 bags with a solid average as well. He looks to be a great fantasy asset long-term. And honestly, if it if it weren't for this solid end of the season, I probably wouldn't be as high on him for 2021. It doesn't change my opinion long-term because it's a small sample. But I was very encouraged to see the changes that he made, the the adjustments when he came back up. And it's, I think it goes to show you how what a hard worker he was because he was willing to take the demotion. He didn't dwell on it. No, he worked harder. He worked hard. He came back up and showed what he was capable of as he held his own those last 12 regular season games and into the postseason. I left very impressed with what I saw, and I think it'll just carry over. I really do think it'll carry over. He's the Cards' best outfielder, no doubt about it. He's going to start. He should get a chance to play every day, and I think that he just comes out and proves himself, and he's going to be a great hitter and a great fantasy asset as well. Yeah, I mean, I, you mentioned 25-15. I think that's absolutely on the table. I think that's clearly what he can do. And I, I do think that guys like this are the perfect guys to try to target in your fantasy league, because I think what they'll remember is uh, Dylan Carlson. 
I got so hyped on that guy. I moved him way up my draft board. I took him earlier than I wanted to because everybody was so pumped about him. And then he did nothing and he left me hung out to dry. And guys like that, fancy manager, just kind of shy away from at his price right now. Now, I don't know where we're going to end up. You know, this is going to move dramatically. When we talk about ADP, right, it's going to move by the time we get into it. But these are high stake leagues. That's why early on NFBC is good ADP data. 37th outfielder off the board at pick 140, roughly. I like him a lot. There, there's risk, right? I mean, if he gets off to a really slow start, you could easily see them saying, well, we have outfield depth, right? I mean, we're, we're going to go with it. But I think at this point, like the upside way outweighs the downside at that spot, don't you think? Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's worth the risk there because I think that worst case, you know, he, you don't lose a ton of value on it. I mean, there's the risk that he gets demoted, but at this point, I don't see it. I think that he comes up, he proves himself. I think they give him a chance to run with it and play every day. So at the spot... I'm totally buying, especially again, I'll say it again, with what I saw to end the season, I think yep. that he really carries over. Yep. Now we're on the same side on this one. So good to see. And again, I, I he's going to bat in the middle of the order. And so long as he gets off to a, a just not terrible start, I think he's going to have that job all year. And again, 25-15, I don't really think that that's necessarily even an aggressive sort of projection. I think if he stays healthy all year, that's what you can basically expect. And when you're going to get him as, you know, a borderline top 40 outfielder, that's a good price to play. Let's get now to a couple of prospects who may not start the year in the majors with their team, but who you think are kind of, we should be looking out for production in the latter half of the season. Yeah. Start us off. Who do you have? Sure. And I think the easy answer would go to Wander Franco. We we do expect him to come up this year. Try to go some some other names that people sure. should be aware of. And that first one's Jared Kelnick. At this point, I assume most people are well aware of Kilnick as well and what he brings to the table because you see the videos on Twitter, on social media of him just doing insane things. He's extremely talented, has a strong build. He's very mature, both physically and at the plate. He's a great athlete, great power, great speed, highly explosive. I could talk all day about Kilnick because he's that kind of talent. He's the type of player long-term that could hit 300 with 30 home runs and 15 to 20 stolen bases over a full season. That's aggressive, but that's the kind of talent I think that he has. And just think about the fantasy players that are capable of doing that. How many players in baseball can hit 300, 30 bombs, and even still 15 bags? There's very few of them. And so that's why I think that he's going to be a fantasy stud with the huge upside. And there's a high floor as well. Like, And that's what I like. That's what I look for in guys. A lot of guys, a lot of prospects have very loud tools. Kilnick has those but he has a high floor as well. And when you pair those together, it usually makes for a great MLB player and the bust rate lowers a lot. Obviously all prospects bring risk, but when they have that combo of floor and ceiling, it definitely helps out. Even if he doesn't debut until midway through the season, I wouldn't be surprised to see him make a run for the AL MVP. Remember Jordan Alvarez did that several years ago, came up late and I think he finished second that year. Or, I mean, sorry, not in the AL MVP, in the AL Rookie of the Year. At yeah, least. I was going to let it go. Yeah. I was going to let it go and then jump on it afterwards. The correct dude. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. no, no, no. It's not the AL MVP. Let me rephrase that. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, how, right. that's how much I think of Kilnick. One day, <laughs> one day. But we're going to go with Rookie of the Year this year. He's not going to be an MVP. But definitely think he's poten- could be a potential Rookie of the Year candidate. I think drafters are well aware of the impact because he's already going around a pick 200. And that's yeah. pretty much knowing that he's not going to start the year with in Seattle. I think there's still a little bit more development time to be had. He could be ready. There's no question he could be ready. They could pull like the Evan White type deal where they 
buy out the team control and he could he could start the year in Seattle. But I'm just not seeing it. Regardless, if you have a deep enough bench, I think he's worth the price to stash. I think that's how good he can be. And I just don't think that unless you're in a very shallow league, he's going to sit on your wire until he comes up. So if you want him this year, you're going to have to draft him. And I I think he's worth it personally. Yeah, this is a great call. Uh, it's a great call. I, By the way, I, I don't think you know this because really this is the first time we've talked. I'm a Mets fan. So every time uh-huh. I watch Kelnick or see anything about Kelnick, I, a, a small part of me dies, uh-huh. but it's fine. <laughs> I wish him nothing but the best at this point. But yeah, I he is just so polished. I think he's going to have an absolutely fantastic major league career. And I am in agreement with you that I think it begins this year. The interesting part for me is I don't know how long you're going to have to wait for fantasy managers. I mean, he could use more seasoning, of course, in the minors. But for a team like Seattle, it's not as if they need to push somebody really out of the way. right? I mean, Lewis is, is going to be in center. You've got Hanniger hopefully recovered and finally healthy again, kind of manning right. Kelnick just, he, he can come up and, you know, after they gain a year of control, come up and left. I, I don't necessarily know. Maybe this will be like a super two type thing where they wait until the end. But for me, I don't know. I think we might see him sooner rather than later. So I think you can even draft him. I think that's part of why his price is where it is. You know, I think that managers might be expecting him to come up a little bit earlier even than you know we're talking about and if so i think rookie of the year is 100 percent on the table let's go to your next guy all right these are you know these are some interesting names you've got here so start here with number two yeah second guy another extremely polished hitter is andrew vaughn uh, vaughn is just a monster he in college was one of the most prolific hitters in recent memory and things haven't changed much since he debuted he didn't put up elite stat lines in his shortened 2019 season after he got drafted, but that doesn't change the way we think about and value him. I mean, he makes easy contact, very advanced bat-to-ball skills. The elite contact rates, great approach. It leads to a ton of walks. The OBP is extremely high here. Uh, the, like I mentioned, the floor being just very high with the high ceiling. It's much like Kilnick here, where he offers both the floor in the ceiling. He's very patient at the plate. He waits for his pitch. He, he knows what he wants. He waits on it and he hits it every single time. It's very impressive. The power is also elite. Uh, reports say that he was posting, or he did post an exit velocity up to 116 miles an hour. Uh, for reference, just four hitters did that last year in the major leagues. So pretty impressive uh, power there. And he drives the ball well to all fields. And much like I mentioned with Kelnick, just the high floor there. I think there's a high possibility that he could start the season in Chicago. And much like the case where we've seen, they like to buy out the guys' team control, like Eloy and Luis Robert, where they were with the team to start the season. I don't know what the chances of that are, but I do think that he comes up pretty early, maybe uh, May, June, and he's just going to rake from there. Uh, It wouldn't surprise me, though, to see him up earlier. Honestly, would not be surprised if they had him up as soon as they could because I think the bat does play in the lineup. It, it does well. I mean, he could he could play, honestly, be at DH, play first, whatever. We know they've got to break you at first. Don't think that matters. The bat's good enough to play. So we'll see how that all works out. But at worst case, I think he's up by, by June just because we, he's that kind of talent. He's ready. He's more than ready to come up and debut. So we'll see how it all plays out. 
but I am very excited about Andrew Vaughn. Yeah, I, one of the great college careers, really, that you're going to see, right? Basically a 1,200 OPS throughout. Yeah, the bat just plays. And yeah, you're right. You, the reports of the exit velocity are just like, if you believe them, which, I mean, we might as well, even though we, we can't necessarily verify it ourselves, then it's just monstrous. And yeah, he can just hit. He there is very. You talk about the high floor that we're all looking for, and that's what he brings without question. Once he's in the majors, he is going to hit. I mean, there's almost no doubt about it. The question is, as you mentioned, will they find a spot? And I'm inclined to agree. And because of what they did, you're right. You know, when you're talking about him and as when you're talking about Robert, what they do with these guys, they want their bats up there. They want them up there as quickly as they possibly can. So this is a guy who's, you know, he's 23 years old, but he's a polished hitter. I agree with you. They will find a spot. You know, life finds a way for, you know, to quote Jurassic Park. I think it's going to find a way here. So I agree with you. He is a guy who I think is is worth drafting now because I think in, in sharp leagues, you're really going to have to be thinking about him as somebody who's who's going to factor in and everything like that. So, so far, I, I'm in agreement with you on both these calls. And I think both these guys are going to be up. I don't think you're going to have to wait that long for either Kelnick or Vaughn. I think they're going to be up sooner rather than later. So I like both the calls. Let's get to your number three. Yeah, the next guy, I'm going to drop down a little bit to some some more underrated guys, but Brandon Marsh. I think that Marsh, honestly, was underrated because of Joe Adele. Adele just overshadowed him in that system with the Angels. Uh, now Adele's graduated off prospect list, and it's Marsh's time to shine. Marsh is extremely talented, a great hitter, great athlete. He was a standout two-way star in high school, playing both baseball and football. He was a star wide receiver on the team. He's just got that very athletic build. And that goes to show you what kind of athlete he is. He played uh, high school football at a high level, was being recruited as a wide receiver, ultimately was drafted in the second round of the MLB draft out of high school. Um, He really kind of began to put it all together in 2019. Hit seven home runs, stole 19 bases in double A. And then in the Arizona Fall League, he honestly could have taken away MVP honors. Very close. I mean, he hit 328, 387 OBP, 522 slug, two home runs and four stolen bases. Now you see the the home run numbers and they're not overly impressive, but the game power is slowly developing. He began to show that more and more at the end of 2019. Majority of his home runs, majority of those seven, I think five of them came over the last month of the season. And then he hit those two bombs in the Arizona Fall League. The power's coming. He's an elite athlete. The upside's here to hit 280, hit 20 home runs and steal 20 bags. And like I mentioned, I think he's going to get a chance in, in AAA but to begin the year. he's going to. I think he shines. There's reports that the power was continuing to develop into 2020 at the alt site, and then he could come up and, and really take off. Now, on the flip side, you say, well, look at Adele came up and struggled. It, he did. I don't think Adele was completely ready. Adele wasn't as, really a season. I think with some seasoning in AAA this year, I think Marsh is going to be ready to go, honestly, and it wouldn't surprise me. I, it would not surprise me at all to see Marsh outperform Adele over the span of whenever he gets called up. I think the talent's there. Adele's obviously can be elite as well, but Marsh is very talented. I love the guy. All right. I don't want to take too much away from this because I want everybody to go to your Twitter profile, which I gave early on and pinned to your profile, right, is a whole article on Marsh. So I don't want to necessarily take, I think everybody should go there and take, if it's still there, I checked, uh, you know, a couple days ago. Still there? Wonderful. It's still pinned. All right. Wonderful. It's a well-written article. Everybody should go check it out. He is intriguing. So realistically, I'm going to leave it there also because I don't want to take up too much time. He wants to keep moving everything like that. 
But he's certainly an intriguing guy. And again, if you really want to get the details on the guy, go to uh, go to his Twitter profile and check it out. Again, Roto Clegg, C-L-E-G-G. Go to your next guy then. Let's talk. This guy will not immediately throw it to your Twitter profile, but I, I want to <laughs> give you a little bit of pub there at least. So go to your yeah, next guy here. I appreciate that, man. Sure. All right. Next guy is another guy who I think has been overshadowed by another player in the system, and that's uh, Trevor Larnick. Uh, Larnick, I think, gets a lot of times overlooked thanks to Alex Kirloff. But I think Larnick's equally as good. I really do. He's a career 307, 385, 468 hitter in 719 minor league plate appearances. And that's right in line with his solid production at Oregon State. Larnick's the real deal. Hits to the opposite field well for both extra base hits and home runs. He can He's shown that he can hit home runs to the opposite field. He's really growing into that poolside power. The approach is excellent. Ton of walks. If you're in an OBP league, this dude's a monster. He's going to give you like 380 to 400 OBPs some seasons. He's that good, and he's that patient, has a great approach at the plate. Much like with Marsh, I wouldn't be surprised if we if Larnick comes up and outperforms Kirilov. They're equally talented. Both are great players, but I just think Larnick's that good, and he gets really under overshadowed there. So Larnick's the guy, man, and I think that he gets a chance later this year. The only concern is, is where does he play? Because the Twins have a deep lineup. Uh, they have they love the prospects that are either corner outfielders or first basemen. Right. I think Larnick plays in the outfield, but I think they'll find a spot for him, and the bat will play. Yeah, my worry on him is a little bit just the defense, and it, for this year anyway. I'm not really talking long term because he will find a spot long term. You, you mentioned all the great stuff about it, strong walk rate. Right? That almost you love to see that with young players like that. But yeah, it's whether or not he is good enough defensively at this point for them to bring him up. He hasn't he hasn't played in AAA yet, even right? I, I don't believe. Yeah, you're correct. Okay, so it's that's not that's not necessarily an impediment to playing in the majors whatsoever at all. But I do think that this is something where. For this year, anyway, and I know you're going deep. I know, you know, that's sort of what we said that you were going to do. But I think this year, I, I do think that his bat is, you know, if not major league ready, then definitely getting there. My worry with him would be where is he going to play, as you sort right. of mentioned, especially because the de- we, when you have a guy who can be an asset defensively, especially, you'll, they'll, you know, teams will take a chance on him. For a guy like Larnick, who's kind of in the same mold as the twins have a ton of you know what i mean without something to stand out i do wonder whether or not he's going to get the call this year especially since he hasn't yet played at triple a you know what i'm saying yeah no for sure and this will probably be a a later i mean you're not going to go out and draft larnick no no doubt but he could be one of those guys that pops up in august and he could be a waiver wire ad that could really boost your team yeah somebody gets injured he comes up does the job yeah I like it. All right, let's get to your last guy. Who is it here? A guy who we might see later in the season. Sure. And that's uh, Jeter Downs. Now, Downs has been a longtime favorite of mine. Watched him for a while. And you may see a guy that has been traded three times in a little over a year. And you may be concerned. He went from Cincinnati to the Dodgers. And then we know he came over to Boston in the Mookie deal. I just think it shows how coveted he is. I think that the, the Red Sox saw Downs as a guy that takes over second base every day for him. And the position's wide open for him. He could come up earlier than later. I think he's a, a midseason addition to the roster. I do think he needs a little more seasoning in the minor leagues, but his bat's nearly ready and it's polished. He doesn't stand out anywhere. He doesn't really have any standout tools that will wow you, but he just gets the job done. Very mature hitter. Great contact skills. Great plate recognition. Good power to go with it. 
not going to blow you away, but he's a 20 to 25 home run guy. Most of his powers to the pool side, he's probably going to hit a lot of doubles off the green monster in Fenway. Isn't the fastest runner, but he is very aggressive and smart. He gets the job done on the base pass we saw in 2019. 24 homers, 24 steals. Pretty impressive. The clock times aren't the best, but he runs extremely well. I think that early on in his career, he'll be a guy that gives you 15 steals. I do think long-term, the the speed dies off. He probably dies off steel-wise, but for the first several years of his career, I wouldn't be surprised to see him be a 15-steal guy. And the thing is, unlike Larnick, there's a position wide open for downs to take. They don't. The Sox don't have anybody at second base that they're pressing that's in his spot. Downs could come up when he's ready and take the job. And I think it's just a matter of time before he actually does. Uh, downs is just... You, I think you hit on a couple of the, the great buzzwords, which is he's really polished. Like he's an incredibly polished hitter for someone his age. And yeah, the steals you mentioned, he's got 69 and 289 games, but he's not like a burner. He's not, you know, like somebody who's just going to be like, oh my God, this is the fastest guy I've ever seen. He's just a really, really good base runner. So that's the sort of stuff that can translate that he is going to be able to, again, you mentioned it. Yeah, I think you could see 15 steals or whatever like that. Again, my worry for this year, it's going to be interesting. He's got to start strong, I think, in the minors, because again, this is just a guy who's, you know, he's young. He's got 12 games in double A. So he's got to really start strong, but you are right. To the extent that there's a guy with like that path where there's nobody blocking him. That's really what it is. I mean, whether, I don't know, Michael Chavis, you know, starts at second base or whatever for uh, the Red Sox, you, he's got a spot. I mean, that that's the bottom line. He's got his spot that he can get to if he needs to. So yeah, if he gets off to a hot start, I do think that just his just natural pedigree, his natural ability to hit is something that's going to be able to probably succeed in the majors relatively quickly once he gets up there. Again, it's just a matter of how quickly these teams want to move all these guys up. All right, let's get outside the obvious names here. Let's move to a, a couple of different guys here. Outside the obvious ones that we're expecting to see in, in early 2021, go through a few other prospects that you're looking to hold on to, specifically in dynasty formats. Yeah, and so first guy, another Red Sox actually, is uh, Jaron Duran. Duran's a speedster, man. He's he's definitely a double-plus runner. He's a burner. Unlike Downs, he's a burner on the base paths, and he's shown it in 2019, man. He stole 46 bags. Pretty impressive there. The power is what's lacking. Hits for great average, but all the reports out of camp this year were that he's really grown into his own power-wise. Now, if he can be semi-below average power, like if he just gets to like 12 home runs a year, that speed's really going to play when you pair it with that hit tool. And he's still flying under the radar, but I think his value really takes off. Kind of reminds me of a like Vidal Bruhan type. Obviously, Bruhan's a much better hitter. Like when you look at a hit tool, Bruhan's more polished with a hit tool. But Duran's shown the ability to hit for average as well. And if he can get to that similar power level, they both have similar speed. I think he's going to be extremely dangerous. And his, his value's getting ready to take off. So he's a guy that I'm looking to add right now, especially in a dynasty format, a guy that you really want to, to get and hold on to. He could debut this year, but I think the value rises and, and I want him on my teams. Yeah, this is a guy who, you know, again, you, I mean, he's got an 823 career OPS in 199 minor league games, but he's got just eight homers. I mean, it's all about the fact that he can get on base. He can, you know, he hits the ball into the ground. He's got 70 steals. He doesn't mind doing that either. He's sort of, you know, he's kind of like Willie Mays Hayes from uh, Major League. He knows, you know, when he hits the ball on the ground, he's got the chance to run it out. So he's got to get more loft. That's really what it is. Now, you've talked about sort of the rumors. 
They did this swing change with him, I guess, to try to attempt to get more loft. The biggest thing that I think about is, as you mentioned him, the swing change. And if he can get more loft, then he's going to be like a monstrous player, right? That That's really what it is. If, if you're right on that, and if he does get more loft and hence get more power, then he goes from just this, you know, kind of no power speedster to an all around kind of solid addition. And really, that's what we need to see. I mean, I don't know if you, you know, I know you look at these guys closely. I know there was talk about some swing change and everything like that. I don't know if that's come to fruition or if that's more for next year. But I think the point is like he's making an effort to get more loft on the ball to try to add power, right? Yeah, 100%. And so obviously, the insight we have into these alternate training sites is is minimal. But the Red Sox do a pretty good job of putting this stuff out. They're one of the teams that put out a lot of video and a lot of game film, which which was encouraging. And with Duran, you you really could. You could see a change. And I think that it's something that he was working hard on, like you mentioned, because he realizes the need for that. Like in today's game, you got to hit for a little power, even if it's not a ton. You know, like I mentioned, if he can get to 12 home run power with that speed and on base skills, he's really going to play up. Yep. All right. Let's get to your next guy here. Who's somebody else you're looking for in dynasty formats? Yeah, and that's uh, the Mariners pitcher, George Kirby. The Mariners system is absolutely loaded. They've got a ton top to bottom from hitters to pitchers, and Kirby doesn't really get the recognition that he deserves. He's getting more and more, which is encouraging. I've seen a lot more pumping him up this offseason. But this is a guy with elite command, like Shane Bieber elite command, with a fastball that gets up to 99 miles an hour. That fastball plus three really good secondaries. He's got a slider, curve, and change that I think all are above average offerings. They're very good. So when you look at this stellar command, and that's what I love to see, guys that have stellar command. And, I, and the more and more I've been researching and scouting these prospects, the, the starting pitchers that make it, for the most part, are guys that have really polished command and control. And that's exactly what Kirby is. And he's one of my favorites this year. I think he's going to be a huge riser. And that's the thing about Dynasty Leagues. It's, it's all about acquiring and selling at the right time. So buying while the value's appropriate and then when they take off then you either hold or you sell and then when guys are at peak value knowing when to sell and such but i think that kirby's value is still low enough right now most people aren't in on him but i really do i'm not going to comp him to shane beaver by any means because we know beaver's coming off one of the historic seasons like of a pitcher but that's the model he's following and he's very very intriguing so george kirby's definitely a guy i want on all my dynasty league teams you mentioned bieber and I agree. And and again, there's sort of this what Bieber did this past year versus what we kind of looked at Bieber's career like a year or two ago. I, Bieber's the absolutely appropriate comp and not that he's going to develop, you know, into exactly what Bieber was this most recent year. But that's it. You know, he's got it just exceptional control. He, it's not like his secondary pitches are, you know, jump off the page right with how incredible they are. But he's just has so much command of his pitches that he's going to be able to succeed. I love the call. I love Kirby. I, you know, he's 23, still in ball, so he's got, you know, a little a little bit to go. But you mentioned Seattle, man. They are stacked. They are stacked for the long term, and it's going to be fun to watch. So, yeah, he's big and he's strong, and I just, you know, he's going to be able to take the jump. So I like Kirby. And, again, I like the Bieber comp with the understanding that we're not saying, you know, he's going to be what Bieber was necessarily last year. But I think that's a perfect comp in terms of what we're looking at when we look at the guy. Let's get to your next guy here. Who you have here as another guy who you're looking for in dynasty formats? Sure, and that's uh, this is a guy that's a little more hyped, and that's Tristan Casas with the Red Sox, another Red Sox prospect. Yeah, but again, uh, really like the skill set he brings, and w- the way we talk about 
Andrew Vaughn, like where Andrew Vaughn's ranked in prospect rankings, wouldn't be surprised to see Casas jump up to that level. He has more raw power than Vaughn. The hit tool's lagging a little bit, but it is improving. Like I think you could see Casas get to levels where he hits 270. He's not, I mean, Vaughn's got skills to hit 300, but the power is monstrous from the left side here. He's a man. You know, he was in Greenville quite a while, so I got to see him several times in the minor leagues, and the dude just was a man among boys in single A, and he's had monstrous power. He hit 19 home runs at 19 years old, and when he was in single A ball, uh, nearly 500 plate appearances, but the power is still growing and evolving. The The bat's just going to play perfectly in Fenway Park, in my opinion, and I think that he really plays up. I think he could debut late this season. Wouldn't surprise me at all, even though he's never played above high A. But again, dude's just about to turn 21, so he still needs a little bit of development time. But just the power and the growing hit tool is something that I'm really watching with Casas, and I think that his value could skyrocket. So again, now's the time to buy. Yeah, no, he's young. He's he's turning 21. But yeah, Sig, you mentioned his size, 6'4", 238. I mean, he, he's a big kid. And the big thing is, yeah, the power, which isn't fully there yet. Like you look at the numbers, it's not like, wow, the power numbers jump out of you, but he's going to have a ton of power. You mentioned it though. I agree with you. This isn't like a 300 hitter waiting to happen. Necessarily. Just when you're that big, I feel like there's always, almost always like a hole somewhere in that swing, just because he's so monstrous in there. But I do think you mentioned 270. I think that's probably around where he's going to end up again. He is young. So we are talking about your, we're talking about dynasty leagues here. So he's somebody who, you know, you mentioned maybe in an absolute best case scenario, we could see this year. Probably not. I agree because again, it's got a long way to go, but yeah, in terms of the power that you're going to see from this kid, Casas is just, I mean, he's got it and he's a big kid. You're right. When you watch him out there. So yeah, I like the call again. Let's get to your number four. Cool. And that's uh, Corbin Carroll, Arizona Diamondbacks. And he is really moving up, man. There's a there's a lot of talent in this outfield of, that the Diamondbacks have as far as prospects. You know, they got Christian Robinson. They've got Alec Thomas. A lot of talented outfielders. But I'm really believing that Carroll's going to be the cream of the crop of them. Robinson has pretty loud tools. But Carroll's just so polished. He's He was the most polished hitter in the 2019 draft class. He has surprising pop for somebody his size. He's We talked about Casas being so big. Carroll's much smaller, 5'10", 165. But the dude's a burner. He got elite speed, a great hit tool, like definitely a plus hit tool. And the power's growing. Much like we said with Duran, the reports out of the alt site have been raving about Corbin Carroll. And he's going to jump up a ton when we get to see him this year. This will be, I mean, he got drafted in 2019. Just had a short season. He played in rookie ball in low A in 2019. So we didn't get a ton of just 42 games. But I think people are going to be surprised when they see him this year in minor league ball and, and what he's capable of. The power, I think, develops to average like 20 home runs, 20 home run pop, which would not surprise me. And you pair that with speed with a guy that can steal 30 bags easily to go with a, a plus hit tool, a guy that can hit 285 to 300. This is the makings of a really solid player. And I don't think people have balled in yet. And just natural in center field as well. So he's going to find a spot in the field. The bat's going to play. Obviously, he's younger. He's just 20 years old. He's still got some time to go before he debuts. But man, is he polished. And I am just very excited about Carroll and the development. Once again, now's the time to buy, in my opinion, before the value really takes off. Yeah, if he, he's, you know, we talk about the developing power and sort of the word at. He is, you know, 
tiny. You know, we, we talked, you know, he's kind of the, the anti Casas in a little bit because he is 5'10, 165. You know, for him to have real major league power, I do think that he needs to add bulk. But I, look, he's 20. As you mentioned, 20 years old. God, these kids are so young at this point. I don't remember <laughs> when I got to the point where I think about, you know, when you were 20 years old. I don't know. Sorry, uh, Chris, I don't know how old you are. So I don't mean to like sort of. No, I'm 26. <laughs> All right. So you're like an old man. Great. Yeah. 20, you know how how much still growth there is for you, especially as he goes to him. He does need to add on some bulk, I think, to really have the power to play in the majors. But yeah, again, we mentioned it with with Jeter Downs, the polished hitter that's really what you think of from a high school kid that's the one thing that has always been said about the kid is that he's got a polished hit tool nice debut you know in the 42 games 299 and 896 ops and again 18 steals so he can run and yeah all he's got to do for long-term value for me is add on a little bulk get that power up which again as you mentioned reports are that it's already coming and he's going to be a really really solid major league player long term let's get to your last guy here for dynasty formats who are you looking at Sure. Another guy that I've been a big fan of since since I saw him in 2019, and that's Aaron Bradshaw with the Indians. <laughs> it's funny, the Indians are just absolutely loaded in the middle infield, which is slightly concerning. And so I had somebody ask me on Twitter the other day if I was concerned about Bradshaw's value long-term with them acquiring uh, Rosario and Jimenez, and I'm not. You know, Bradshaw's still years away from debuting. He's probably a 2024 ECA, but the talent's there, and we saw it. In 2019, playing a rookie ball in low A, he showed some good pop, showed the ability to hit for average with great OBP skills, which was very exciting. When you see a guy that was 18 years old walking at a near 17% rate, that's insane. He walked more than he struck out, which stands out to me already. The ISO was nearly 300, which was impressive. Obviously, you look at rookie ball stats and you take him with a grain of salt, but Bracho's developing, and the Indians' prospectus account on... Twitter does a good job of really putting out stuff from the alt side as well. And so they've put out a lot of video on him, a lot of power developing. He's got some solid speed. He can chip in some some steals. The hit tool's solid. I mentioned the OBP skills being really high. And I just think the value continues to rise. And I've been bullish on him in rankings and because I really do believe. I believe in the stuff that I've seen. And just think he continues to develop into a solid, solid second baseman. And, and especially at a position like second base for fantasy purposes that we know is pretty shallow, I think the bat's going to play really well. Obviously hard to say what the second base landscape looks like in several years down the road, sure. but but Bracho's a solid hitter overall, and I think that he, he really makes it work, man. I'm excited about him. He's a great hitter. He's just a flat-out great hitter. And again, he missed, right? He missed 2018, I think, with a, yeah. with a broken arm, I think it was. Right. And then he was out in 2019 for a while with the oblique injury. So he's, he's missed some times, but still in 38 games, 973 OPS, eight homers, four steals. And again, as we talked about, he's just turning 20 this year. He's a baby. So yeah, he's not, you know, this isn't the guy you're going to see this year or anything like that. You've got a few years at the very least that uh, before we're going to see him in the majors. But yeah, man, unless something goes drastically wrong here, like with an unforeseen injury, I I think that his long-term outlook is great. And especially you're talking about it at second base, which is notoriously a difficult position to find a guy who's really going to contribute from a fantasy perspective. So yeah, long-term, I absolutely love the call. All right, draft. Let's talk about it quick. You've got, uh, who are some young prospects ahead? We've got the draft coming up. Who are some young prospects that you're excited about for this year's MLB draft? Sure. And the obvious name is Kumar Rocker. We know out of Vanderbilt. I won't hit a ton on him. Most people know a good bit about him, 
but I'm going to go to his teammate Jack Leiter first. Leiter's extremely athletic, man. Projectable right-handed pitcher. Obviously has major league bloodlines with his father. Al, uh, man, he was robbed of a, a really good season last year with Vandy, but he's going to be a draft-eligible sophomore this year. That He's just polished beyond his years, man. He's got great stuff. Uh, very projectable frame. The velo was up in the fall. Reports that he'd got the velo up to 94 to 96 range that touched 97. Good secondary pitches and with a curve change and slider. And when you have four pitches in good command, it really plays up. I think there's a chance that he goes first overall. We'll see how the college season plays out. Long way to go. A lot could happen, but Leiter's extremely talented and very stoked about him. Yeah, I completely agree. First overall, that's interesting. I, I was not, uh, you know, I thought, you know, and I, I know you're not predicting that he goes top, that you know, overall or anything like that. But yeah, I was thinking probably he'll be a top five pick. I mean, I think Rocker's probably going to be drafted ahead of him would be my guess. Sure. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, he's just, you know, he's got great control, great movement on the fastball, great curve, great slider. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of his dad uh, from his time with the Mets. But yeah, again, he was robbed of the season, just 15 innings last year. But you know, he looked as good as advertised. So yeah, he's going to be an absolute monster. And again, borderline top five pick is where I'm guessing. But yeah, my guess is Rocker will go before him, but he'll probably be the second pitcher taken. Who's another guy you're looking at out of the draft? Yeah, for sure. And that's a high school shortstop out of Texas. And that's Jordan Lawler. Uh, He's very impressive, just has a ton of projectability, uh, just a huge build. He's already in high school at 6'2", 185. So he's got that frame that we can just dream on. He's great in the field, got great bat-to-ball skills, great gap power, and he's continually growing into more power. Good runner as well. Yeah. I think he's probably ends up like a plus runner when we get some times on him. Uh, very mature. That's the thing. Mature beyond his age at the plate, which is exciting. Again, probably looking at a top five pick here. He's very exciting. We'll see who get, he lands with, but definitely the best shortstop on the board and very intriguing. Yeah. There are a few question marks about him. Again, you mentioned him 6'2", 183 at 18 years old coming out of, uh, you know, just he's so young and he is, though. Again, I'm sorry, I've used the word several times on this, but he's he's polished for a hitter who's that young. And again, if you're coming out of the draft and you're a high draft pick as a hitter out of high school, then you are a polished hitter, almost certainly right. like that. That's part of, you know, if so facto a little bit. So, yeah, I like him again. I, I'm sure he's going to be a top five pick he you know he could be number one overall necessarily i mean i think he's he's gonna go top five though for sure so yeah long term that that is somebody who i'm excited to watch how about number three we're gonna go we'll go with four who's your number three sure and that's uh that's judd fabian with for florida he's exciting also i've seen him in mocks kind of all over the board which is interesting but he's again we'll use the word again very polished he's got quick hands through the zone great contact approach just five tool potential with the speed power great in the field, great hit tool. There's some swing and miss concern, but he has improved. Everywhere, every stop he's been at, he's improved, which is which is great. And again, a guy doing it at a young age in the SEC and in the Cape Cod League was impressive. And he'll be just 20 years old for the 2021 draft this year. Still young, really young for a college guy, but I think he's pretty polished. I think the, the well-roundedness helps him out a ton. And the bat's going to play. I'd love to see him go to Boston. I think that'd be a great spot for him at four there. We'll see how the draft board falls, but I like Fabian a lot. Yeah. First of all, I'm not going to say the word polished because I've already reached my quote <laughs> on how many times I'm allowed to say per podcast. 
and yeah, another guy who, again, I think that he definitely has a chance to go within the top five. He's an outstanding hitter. And yeah, you mentioned Boston. We talked about them a lot. I mean, they're they're starting to load up. But yeah, that is a really great place for him to end up. Let's look, talk about your last guy here looking at out of the draft. This one's a little deeper, but he's one that's rising up rankings and draft boards, and that's Brady House, high schooler out of Georgia. He's about an hour and a half from me, so I'm hoping to get out and watch him several times this year. Big boy, 6'3", 210. He's a high schooler. Uh, just one of the top hitters in the class, especially for his age. There was some concern. He didn't really produce the numbers you'd like to see in some bigger events this summer, but the sample was small. I think that he just does things that others his age can't, which is impressive. There's a ton of raw power, easy power as well. That's the thing. He just makes the power look so easy with his bat. I think the, the bat's also growing. The hit tool's growing as well. And just projection, much like Lawler and with a lot of high school guys. Any high school guy that's going to be going this high, they're being drafted that high because there's so much projectability in the profile. Uh, it could be third base, could be shortstop. We'll see how it all plays out, but... Man, he's extremely talented. The bat is very, very good. And I think that you'll just you'll see his name popping up more and more as we get closer to the draft. And I think that he's one to really watch out for. Yeah, just 17 years old. But again, you mentioned it. The power. The power is legit. And like you said, easy power. Not, you know, not, not that much of a runner or anything like that, but 6'3, 210. He's gonna have power as he gets older and as he develops. It is going to play in the major leagues. He also has the benefit of if you would Google his name, you're probably gonna find like three or four straight links about Tom Brady's new house. So that's a, a fun thing that you can do when you're trying to find more information, but sort through that you'll read up on him. He's, he really is a prospect. My, you know, probably a borderline top 10 guy, but he's going to be interesting to watch and his major league career. But again, the power is going to play so long as he stays healthy and everything like that, even into the major leagues. All right. I am really, really glad, Chris, that we were able to get together, talk about some prospects. It's a fun time. Remind everybody where they can find you and your great work. Yeah, of course, man. Again, thank you. It was a real honor getting on to, to chat with you today. Dude, the <laughs> honor. It's not an honor, man. It's just fun. <laughs> just fun. But I appreciate it. Thank you. <clears throat> right. It was a blast. But uh, you can <laughs> right. find me on Twitter, uh, Roto Clegg, R-O-T-O-C-L-E-G-G. All my written work is at Fantrax HQ. I run a podcast with Eric Cross, the Fantrax Prospect Toolshed, where we talk exclusively about prospects. So if you're interested in learning more about prospects, looking to get into Dynasty Leagues, feel free to check us out over there uh, and really enjoy the pod, really enjoy working with Eric. So that's where my work is. And again, just want to say thank you, Dan, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It was our pleasure. And again, Chris and Eric, they do great stuff. And if you're really interested in Dynasty work, by all means, check them out. They do some great stuff. All right, so we will be back next week with another episode, and I will talk to you then.